So welcome to our uh, fifth um, talk on the life of Joseph. We're going through um, a series on uh, the, the life of Joseph through Genesis. Um, and we've entitled it uh, Kingdom Living. Oh dear. In a hostile world, it is. Yes, I've got that written at the top of my page. I don't know why I'm looking at everyone. Um, and we've had uh, four talks up to now going through the life of Joseph. They're all on the web. I would encourage you to listen to them. They are uh, fantastic. And it's great to be able to dip in and dip out of this as well uh, if you're visiting. Um, and we just felt like it would be a really good thing to go through a story in the Bible, go through a big, long passage in the Bible and draw out what God is speaking to us uh, each week through that. So I've got the task today of going through Genesis 41 um, verses 41 to 57. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing. Well, it says 37 to 57 here, but... Uh, um, so I wonder, um, just asking a question first of all, if anyone was a prefect at school, or head boy or head girl, yeah, I was, fantastic, that's good. Um, okay, I remember I, I was uh, asked to be the careers prefect, okay, at school. Uh, so that meant I used to get into school early, about 8.15, I was let in before anybody else, I'm not quite sure why that was a privilege. Um, but then I, I would go straight to the careers office and I'd go and work for the careers advisor. And it was very, very exciting. Well, we didn't have a careers advisor in those days. It was just a teacher who pretended to be a careers advisor. And um, I thought that I was in charge of all of the work experience for every young person in my year. Okay, I thought that I was in charge of that and I had such an important job. In reality, I made the herbal teas for the careers um, teacher, uh, which was quite exciting. I can still smell these raspberry tea. It's... Um, Oh, something not right about that. And I also had to move placements around the board as he organised the um, work experience. So I got to know where everyone was going on work experience, but I kind of had this perceived power that maybe I didn't have. And um, I'm not putting down the idea of a prefect. I think they're great. But I wonder sometimes whether prefects get this perceived power that they have when actually they don't really have much power at all. Um, and it kind of went to my head. I kind of had this big thing that I was the careers prefect. And so I had this big... I mean, exactly, it doesn't sound great now, does it? I mean, the age I am. But when I was younger, it sounded amazing that I was the careers prefect, okay? And I let it go to my head, and a lot of my friends were just like, you need to chill out a bit because it's a really sad role. Um, and so... Um, it worked well because I didn't actually know what I wanted to do for a career for quite a while. So um, I didn't actually listen to my own advice. But there we go. But it's interesting, isn't it, how we have these things where things go to our heads and we have these big uh, dreams and ideas that maybe we've got above our position and, and above our status. And we've got power that we've perceived that we don't have. Um, now, last week, Becky was talking um, in the life of Joseph on God-given dreams and visions and the, uh, we, that we're expected to hear God speak. And God's timing is perfect in all of that. We need to live out the understanding that God gets the glory in everything and that God speaks through different ways. And I want to build on that this week um, by looking at what it means to be kingdom living and to live with success, how to live with success. So we pick up the narrative of Joseph. He's been through um, the, the difficulties he's been through. He's been put in the pit by his brothers. Uh, he's been taken off to go and work in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house then went wrong as he was falsely accused of things. He was put in prison. He was then taken out of prison after he interpreted dreams in there. And Pharaoh was told about this and he had dreams. And now um, Pharaoh has elevated Joseph to a status um, of second in command. So in Genesis 41, 
verse 37. Um, Pharaoh talks about it being a good plan. Joseph has this amazing plan to get Egypt out of the difficulty of this famine that is coming in seven years time. So he's got seven years of, of amazing grain coming and amazing harvest and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph puts into this plan and says, this is what we need to do. And Pharaoh acknowledges at that point that God is in this. In verse 38, it says, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? And since God has made all this known to you, he says in verse 39, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. So Joseph is put in an authoritative position. And this is what happens to him in verse 41, uh, verse 40 to 45 of Genesis 41. It says this, you shall be in charge of my palace, Pharaoh says, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus to put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph a different name and gave him uh, Azanath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went through the land of Egypt. Joseph was set over the house and the people of Pharaoh in verse 40. The only greater authority that Pharaoh had was the throne. The only greater thing that he had, the only one thing he had on Joseph was the fact that he was on the throne. He was set over the land of Egypt. He was given the land of Egypt, verse 41. He was then given fine linen, a gold chain around his neck, a bit different to the prison stuff that he'd been in, if he was actually in any clothes in prison. He was given a chariot, Pharaoh's second chariot. In some versions, it says his second chariot, his second in command. People are made to bow before him. That's the word make way is also bow down, bow down before him. Here he comes. And just in case you missed it, The narrative brings in again, he was set over all of Egypt. So just to really make that clear, Joseph is is above all of Egypt and he's put in charge of it all. You see, I've missed out one little bit here in verse 42, which I think is really significant to this idea of kingdom living. And it's this. In verse 42, it says, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And this is really significant that it's not a new signet ring that Joseph gets. It's really significant that it's Pharaoh's signet ring. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a uh, camp in Norfolk with a few uh, churches, three churches. I was invited to go to this camp by my, uh, someone in my parents' church who's been uh, running this camp, this camp called Oasis Camp, that's been running for 60 years. It used to be the Midland Camp Initiative or something like that. Um, I didn't realise it was actually part of the Brethren Church when I turned up. So I turned up with this idea of doing a big series on identity because I was going to do I was going to be doing the talks, big series on identity, and I was going to get to pray with these young people and do incredible stuff with these young people through what God was doing. And actually, I still managed to do that because I, I went from a position of not knowing it was a Brethren camp. Um, 
I just kind of went for it. And we saw five young people uh, give their lives to Jesus. We saw one young person recommit their life to Jesus. We saw a lad who went back to his room one night, woke up with red bumps all over his skin, decided that he would pray for himself. He did. The red bumps disappeared. Um, and we also had a, a, one of the leaders who turned up who'd had a horrendous past. And he'd, he'd given his testimony about how God had really released him or saved him from this past. But he's got real, real difficulties in letting the past go and forgiveness. And by the end of the week, he was a changed man and he had managed to forgive his family. He managed to move forward and step forward into what he was doing. It was just a phenomenal week. And the reason I'm talking about this, I'm going to, I'm going to pull on um, some uh, other things from, from the camp. But I, one of the big things I spoke on was the book of Esther. And uh, there's parallels with the signet ring that we've talked about here with the book of Esther. So if you could find the book of Esther, um, if you've got a Bible with you, Esther is um, difficult to find. If you find Job, keep going backwards. It's in the Old Testament. Um, I had real difficulty finding it when I was there as well, which became a bit of a running joke, really, as I was uh, speaking on it. But Esther, the book of Esther tells the story of uh, King Xerxes, who's a Persian king, who gets rid of his wife because he doesn't like her because she hasn't obeyed him and chooses a new wife uh, called Esther, who is a Jew. And uh, her cousin, Mordecai, upsets um, the king's um, right-hand man. And so the king's right-hand man decides he's going to do something against the Jews and he's going to wipe them all out, basically, because he's so annoyed. And he speaks to the king and he says, I've got a great idea. I need to, there's, there's, there's these people who don't, who don't respect you and we need to get rid of them. And uh, in Esther chapter 3, verse 10, the king um, agrees with Haman and uh, his, his right-hand man and gives him uh, well, it says here So in Esther 3.10. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of, of Hamadatha, the, Ad- <laughs> the Agite. Do you know what? I, I've names. The enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. So again, the king is giving his signet ring from his finger. The seal is, to, is the decree to wipe out the Jews. The signet ring would be the, the, the final seal on that. And then if you flip to Esther 8, um, verse 8. So now it's been done, um, and then the, the plot's been discovered. Haman's um, been dealt with, uh, rightly by the king. And Mordecai has been promoted. But there's still this issue that there's still this decree to go and wipe out the Jews. And in chapter 8, verse 8, it says, Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked or can be undone. Joseph was given Pharaoh's ring. It was a symbol of absolute power. Now, I know that Genesis and Esther, the narratives are in slightly different times, but the power is still the same. A king's signet ring is still the same. It gives absolute power and cannot be undone. What is said in the name of the king happens in the name of the king. And Joseph was given the king's ring. So whatever he did would be the king saying it. And Pharaoh again backs this up in verse 44 of Genesis 41. It says, I am Pharaoh without your word. No one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Now, if we're living a kingdom lifestyle, then we should know there is authority that Jesus gives us. 
Jesus gives us, Jesus did many wonders and works recorded in the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. His disciples did incredible works and wonders. They came back rejoicing of what they'd seen. And Jesus promised that we would do greater things in John 14, 12. And that the Holy Spirit would come and we would receive power. And in Acts 2, we see that, it coming on the disciples and the power coming. And that Holy Spirit is for then and for now. God sent his Holy Spirit to do to, to us, to do the things that Jesus did and greater works that we've seen. We're co-heirs with Christ. We have the same inheritance as Christ and the same status in the eyes of God if we believe in him and if we accept what he's done. And like Joseph was given the authority to use the king's name with his ring, things will be done. We have the same authority to use the king of kings name and things will will be done for at the name of Jesus every knee will bow so there is authority in the kingdom and as kingdom dwellers we need to grasp hold of this that God has given us the authority to act in his name I still remember a talk that Rob gave a few years ago about being ambassadors for Jesus in this world we carry the authority of heaven into Solihull into our workplaces into wherever we're from into our families And we need to grasp that we have this authority. And it's like God has given us this signet ring and gone, here's the authority for you to go and do things in my name. And so that's our first point, is that actually in kingdom living, we have authority from God to go and do things in his name. And we read on then in Joseph that he was married into a high status family. In verse 45, Pharaoh gave Joseph his new name and then the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. A really high up family, a really status name that would enable Joseph to have acceptance in the Egyptian culture. Joseph was only 30 by the time he entered the king's service. Now I'm 33. That's incredible to think what Joseph had been through in his life at the age of 30. He'd gone from being in a pit left to die being accused of doing things with Potiphar's wife that didn't happen, being thrown into prison, facing an uncertain, being forgot about, um, an uncertain future, maybe that's it, I'm I'm, I'm lost, I'm gone. And then by the age of 30, he's married to one of the, the highest priests, or for a priestess's daughters in the land. Incredible to think what he'd been through and what he'd seen. And then he starts doing what he said he was going to do in verse 47 during the seven years of abundance the land produced plentifully joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in egypt and stored it in the cities in each city he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand on the sea that's a lot It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. I've never read that before in the story of Joseph, that he had to stop keeping records because he couldn't count it. So let's quickly summarise. Joseph is elevated to second in command. He's given the authority to do things in the name of Pharaoh. No one will do anything apart from his word. He marries into a high status family, carries out what he said he would do and has too much that he can't measure it. And he stops keeping records. And I think there's a little mini, um, mini application point for us here as, as kingdom dwellers, people who are kingdom living. We should expect this to happen 
in our lives. You see, records are great at keeping testimony and answers to prayer. And it's so encouraging to look back at what God has done in your life and what God has done in the life of the church. I look back at a few weeks ago, Oasis Camp. I see the healing. I see someone set free, the five young people knowing Jesus, the one young person recommitting their faith. And I'm going to celebrate that for as long as I possibly can. And in my life, there are answers to prayer. But do you know, I can't actually recount them all. Why? Because there's too many to number. It's beyond measure. God has been so faithful, and I believe that actually Jubilee will, and even now, is going to struggle to keep the records of all the salvations, the healings, the deliverances that we're going to see, because there'll be too many to number. Now, that's not to say we need to forget them, that's not to say we can't recall them, but it will be to a point where we go, I just, we just can't keep a record of this anymore. And I'm praying for that, and I really believe that, that out of this, we can see that. That what God has given as a dream and a vision and, and, and what Jubilee is to do, then there'll be an abundance so much that we can't keep records. I guess, an aside, back to Joseph. For a young man, I kind of wonder how difficult it would have been for him to have kept a really cool head here. Okay, I think the next few verses are actually quite significant in this because Joseph has been elevated to this position of power that could have gone to his head a bit like me as a prefect maybe not quite the same but you kind of end up with this this position of I could do what I want here I have the king's ring I could knock out whoever I want I could take out whoever I want and it would happen but in verse 50 it says this before the years of famine came two sons were born to Joseph Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Again, there's something here for us, I think, that as kingdom living people, we leave our past behind and we walk into what God has for us. When we move from life to death, Joseph was left for dead quite a lot and he moved into this new life. God wipes the past, refuses to call it to mind. You know what? We've heard so much on forgiveness in this church and we've heard some fantastic teaching. Freedom in Christ is, just teaches wonderful things about forgiveness. This idea of not allowing your past to forget you, cutting yourself off and saying, I'm not going to allow that to affect me anymore. It's a bit like the robe that Joseph had been given in the first, first week we heard when Jacob gave him a special robe because he was he was the uh, original acceptance from his father. You're you're my favorite. You're the greatest one. It's like that had been taken off. And then it had been replaced by this robe that he had in Potiphar's house. Which then he was falsely accused and had to leave it behind and he where his integrity was questioned. And now he's got this robe, the fine linen that has been put on him. And it is the this authoritative status that he has. The last two robes he had might have been an indicator of what was to come, an acceptance and, uh, and a full integrity of what's going to happen. But yet those had really tough memories. They had really tough memories. And it's interesting now to see that Joseph is acknowledging in his naming of his first child, the past is forgotten. God's enabled me to forget my father's house and my past and what went before. And we can acknowledge now as Christians, if we believe in Jesus, if we believe what he's done, that the past is the past and we wear a new robe. That we can have a Manasseh experience. Manasseh comes from the Hebrew to forget. 
How amazing would that be to, 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 to be that child and know that I am the child who my father named me because he'd forgotten his past. And his past is not being recalled to mind anymore. Now we'll see, obviously, later on in the story, his past does come back. Um, and we see his brothers returning to Egypt. But someone else can deal with that. <laughs> um, but coming back to Joseph then, okay, so he's got his first child, Manasseh, and his second child he names Ephraim. And Joseph explains that it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now there's obvious fruit here. There's obvious fruitfulness that, that Joseph's got. He's got two children. Um, and I think he's probably standing there thinking, this is amazing. This is this was my land of my suffering. I was in jail. But I've got two children. I've got the fruit, the fruit of what God, that God has given me. And he sees fruit from God and not from himself. I think that's the point here. No matter what the fruitfulness is here, it could be, look what God has done with my life. But he sees the fruit from God and not from himself. There's a real emphasis on the two names and the phrase that is repeated is God has made me. God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. God has made me. Joseph didn't allow the success to go to his head and become prideful. So much so that he names his children in acknowledgement to what God has done and his fruitfulness. Now, I wonder about you, but the world's success or fruit, I think, is often seen by how much we have made. In my last job, uh, before the one I'm in at the moment, I had performance-related pay. Those three words make me shudder. Because depending on how much I achieved was how much I would get paid. The trouble is, is a lot of my targets, I feel, were completely unachievable because I worked with people. So I had to get the amount of, you know, 50% of people I worked with had to engage in a voluntary service. Well, I can't force people to engage in a voluntary service, so is that my fault? Sorry. It's all dealt with. But you hear that. <laughs> but that's the thing. It was what I could achieve. People who are rich, people who've got a lot, people who are wealthy, often seen as achieving success. I hear that phrase. I watch Dragon's Den, which makes me laugh because some of the stuff that people come up with on there. But you hear it a lot on that, on that program. You achieve success. If you've achieved success, you've made money. You've, you've made it. If you've got success in people coming through the door to things. Kate, my wife, works in the children's centres and she has quotas on families coming through the door. She has to see so many people. You have a successful project if you've seen so many people. In fact, Ofsted will only give an outstanding to a children's centre if you've had so many families access your service. Constantly trying to drum up success. Exam season, we're in it now. Well, we're in results season. Success is equated by how much you put in. I hear that a lot in school. The more you put in, the more you'll get out of it. The more you put in, the more you achieve, the more you can succeed, the more you do. And also in the world, if you're married, if you've got children, maybe this is seen as making it. Or being successful in relationships is seen as making it. Like my prefect status often goes to our head. Well, I've achieved things. I've done it. I've put in what I've put in. And I've got out of it. You're going to reap what you sow, was one of the old songs of uh, Lou Reed, I think it was, wasn't it? Yet the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for success. I'm not saying that we shouldn't put effort in. Of course we need to put effort in. Of course we need to work hard. Of course we need to do these things. But I think we've seen worldly criteria creeping into the kingdom and the church. How big is your church? I get asked. 
How many people come to your church? Does it matter? Does it matter? Oh, do you know what? I just haven't, I just see them up on stage. Oh, I see them given that word and I could never, ever be as successful as that. I just couldn't let, my, my gifting is just isn't as big as that. I see it everywhere. People looking for quick results. In my job, in, in the youth work that I do, there's quick results. How many people have you seen come to Jesus this year? Well, thankfully I can say five now. But that doesn't, <laughs> but that's not me. How many people have I seen come to, to Jesus? Well, I don't know. I've preached the gospel. I've been faithful for, to what I had to do. And do you know what? I think I may have been guilty of it at Oasis Camp. I was looking for results. We used to have a, like a debrief after every meeting. And I always think, did I do enough? Have I been successful in what I did? Did I preach properly? Did I, oh, I missed out that point. That's, oh, maybe, maybe someone will have lost something there. And I kind of tied myself up in it. But do you know what? We can take from Joseph this amazing phrase. God has made me. As Becky said last week, God gets the glory. We're going to watch a video of some Olympic divers. Um, What's his name? Uh, no, some American uh, with a strange name. You'll see him. Uh, Johnson, somebody Johnson. There we go. Anyway, so this is the video of them qualifying to be part of the Olympic team. And um, you'll see a little clip of them kind of dipping their heads in water at the beginning. But it's really interesting what he says. I mean, the phrase is actually written above and below. But just see what they say and how they put it across to the interviewer. They accomplished everything they set out to do tonight, not just making the Olympic team, but putting together a complete set. And now, Steele Johnson, you are going to the Olympics. We see the emotion. Describe what's going through your mind. Uh, I've been working for the stream for a long time, and it's honestly, I never thought like the day would come. And I feel like I just blinked. Now I'm on the 2016 Olympic team. But it's cool because this is exciting, this is fun, but like this is not where my identity is going to be in the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm Steele Johnson, the Olympian, but at the same time, I'm here to love and serve Christ. My identity is rooted in Christ and not in the flips we're doing. Um, but <laughs> it's all here, and it's... <sighs> I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> well, and for your partner, David Vadaya, Beijing, London, and now Rio, what has this journey meant to you? Um, you know, I, right before I was going up for this last side, emotions kind of poured in, and it, it wasn't like the first two teams that I made. I think because uh, because because this guy has um, just come a long way. Um, we can't take credit for this. God be the glory, and um, this is why we do what we do day in and day out. And this is a special moment. Still. My identity is rooted in Christ and not in the flips we are doing. That was live on NBC. And you could almost see the reporter thinking, oh, we need to move to the other guy, who then says, we can't take credit for this. God be the glory. Do you know what? We need to see the successes and we need to thank God that he has, he has made us fruitful. We know that we're ambassadors for one greater than us. Yes, we have authority to act in his name, but that's just it. We act in his name. We're partnering with God. We are part of his sovereignty and he gets the glory. That's kingdom living. That is how we deal with success 
is we give God the glory, but acknowledge that we're part of what it is. Joseph gets some glory from the world. He gets some glory. He gets all the the riches and everything, but he never stops for one moment giving glory to God, and even in naming his children. So what does that mean then for us? God has made us. God has made us do something. And our final point comes from when we read the famine taking grip in Egypt. In verse 53, there's a test here. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the severe seven fat years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. I kind of wonder at this point. Seven years of Egyptians going, we're, we're trusting a dream here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> trusting a guy who's interpreted a dream about cows and corn. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I would have felt. Uh, there was a famine in all the other lands, but in the whole of Egypt, there was food. And when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And then there's the key bit. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. And do what he tells you. The confidence in Joseph and God and what God has done through Joseph continues from Pharaoh. He has complete faith in him. He has complete faith. Suddenly the crisis has hit. There's seven years of famine coming. That's what's been said. And look, the famine started. But he's unwavering. Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And then in verse 56, it says this, and the whole famine had spread over the whole country. Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. I'm going to dip a little bit into next uh, into next time as well. It says, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Go. Everybody had heard that Egypt had food. Everybody had heard what God had done through Joseph in Egypt. Word was spreading. And I believe our last point, that if we really grasp that we have authority from God and we seek success or we seek fruit that gives God the glory and not what we've done in our own strength, then we're going to be attractive. Word is going to spread of the wonders that God is doing here and in our workplaces and in our families. A couple of simple examples at school. I work into a school. We do a lot of RE lessons. We went in and did some RE lessons. We shared our faith and we shared what God has done in our life. We took, um, we took one of our gap year students whose mother had passed away and she was able to speak about how God had really worked in her life and how that had really she'd come to a conclusion of why she still had faith in God we talked about prayer we talked about why we believe God answers prayer and then all of a sudden in our non-Christian lunchtime group that we run where we just get to know the kids we got some lads up here and one of them just came straight up to me and said you're that Christian guy aren't you and I said yeah I am and he said great can you pray after I picked my jaw up from the floor thinking Oh my goodness, I'm about to pray in a classroom. Uh, okay, this will be interesting. I said, yeah, what, what, what can we pray for? And he said, well, my friend has just fallen over and bashed his head on the floor and he's gone to hospital. And we, I just really want to pray that he's okay. And I said, okay. So I explained to him a little bit about prayer, that it's not a magic wand, that you know, we, we, we pray in faith and we ask God to do what he's going to do. And then he, he, he shut me up and he said, yeah, yeah, that's great, Tom. Can we just do it? And I said, okay, fine. So he turns around to his friends, he shushes them all up. And they all bow their heads 
and I lead them in this prayer with about 30 other kids playing games around us. We say amen, they all say amen, they all lift their heads up, they say, thanks Tom, walk out the room. Now, there was something there, because of the faith and because of what I had done in lessons and been able to say, this is what, how, what I've seen God done, they came to, um, to, to me to say, okay, go on then, give it a go. The lad did come back to school the next day and was absolutely fine. Kate has a testimony from this as well. My wife, she, uh, she's at work, um, a colleague came to her and said she wasn't well. So Kate said, okay, shall I pray for you? And her colleague said, okay. And so she prayed, her colleague was healed. And then a different colleague heard about it and came over and said, you prayed for her, can you pray for me? Because I want to be healed. Things are going to start rippling out because we have authority and we're doing it for God to get the glory. Kingdom living, we're going to see success. And how we handle that is to know that we do have authority. We give glory to everybody. We give all the glory to God. And people will hear and come and ask, seek. Yes, they'll come and challenge. I'm not going to say it's going to be completely easy. It's really easy when you've got a, a week where you talk about success. Because you kind of forget that actually it is difficult. And it's you're going to get challenged. And we get challenged at school. I've got this uh, girl who comes and... Uh, um, challenges me a lot and tries to take me down on uh, evolution and Darwin and all kinds of stuff and tries to disprove everything I'm doing. So there will be challenge. But we're going to start seeing the kingdom becoming normal. And that's our last point, is that we're going to see kingdom normal. Kingdom living will become normal living because we're going to see what God is doing around us. Shall we stand? I want to pray that we would, um, God, we just seal this and then we'll finish. Let's just stand for a moment. Just, just wait on God. Holy Spirit, we know you're here. We know you are present. You know, we know you are working in our lives already this morning. And thank you for what you've been doing. Holy Spirit, we just ask, would you come? Come on us more. Lord Jesus, just help us seal in our hearts again that we have authority from you. Just like the king's seal, Lord, we know that if we believe in you, it says in Ephesians that we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. We have your seal on us that cannot be broken. And Lord, we know that you have given us the authority to go out and in your name things will be done. Father, help us, encourage us, raise our faith today that we could do this. And Father, we know that it's not us doing it. Help us to understand and to grasp fully that we go in your name. That God, you get the glory. God has made me fruitful. Father, help us to attribute that. When we see things and when we do things in your name, that we turn it round on you. Not that we can't celebrate, not that we can't get excited about what we're seeing, not that we can't rejoice in the gifts that you've given us. But help us to have Manasseh and Ephraim experiences, Lord, where we can say, yes, this is what God has done. God, thank you for wiping away the past. Thank you for helping us not to recall it to mind. And Lord, I, I ask if there's still things that we still recall to mind. 
Holy Spirit, would you come and work on those things? Would you help us to forgive, help us to cut ourselves off from the past so that we can walk forwards and say, God has made me forget. And then God has made me fruitful. And Father, finally, I want to pray that we would see many, many people in this place come to faith, see healings, be set free. God, may we be a part of not being able to keep records because the numbers are too great. May we be a part of not keeping records. Father, help us to grasp that we love you so much because you first loved us and you want to do us good. You want to do us good. Father, may this place throng with the sound of people rejoicing your name because of what you have done. May the world hear, may this town hear, may our families hear, may our workplaces hear what is going on in this place and in other churches around and just want to be part of what is going on because of what you are doing in us. Thank you for the successes that you give us. Thank you for the things that we can see in our lives. All glory to you. In Jesus' name.